Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bible, start with me if you will to Genesis 13. Genesis 13. I mentioned this morning this series I've entitled Counseling Classics is really some of them are biblical principles or passages of Scripture or messages that I have seen um, come up multiple times through the months and through the years in pastoral counseling sessions. And uh, these are truths, and I mentioned this one probably is one that I ri- remind myself of more often than just about any other one, and, and probably one that when I'm in counseling sessions that I remind people of these principles more than any other, and that comes up more often, because often there are different reasons why folks are, are counseling and coming for a, a meeting or an appointment. Sometimes they're struggling in their own life with something that they, they're seeking victory or they're seeking answers for. Others are are spiritually in a a tough spot, but often they're reaching out because there is some form of conflict in their lives. They're having conflict at work. They're having conflict at home. They're having conflict in church. Where where you get human beings together, you will find conflict. And and so these principles are some that I probably remind myself of on nearly a weekly basis in my own relationships. And then probably at least on a monthly basis, I'm bringing them up in a meeting somewhere. There's some truths from Genesis 13 that God showed me that that I've remembered that for probably, oh, I don't know the first time I, I probably really pulled these truths out of this passage was probably a decade or so ago, maybe seven, eight, nine years ago, and I hope it'll be a help to you. Here's the reality. In family, in life, at work, in churches, conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. You are going to have conflict. How many of you, uh, you, you, ha- you either now live or have at some point lived in your life with another human being in a home? You've lived with another human being in the place where you live. And keep your hands up if you've ever had conflict with any of those other human beings. Of course, all of our hands are up. You, uh, you can put them down. You don't have to leave them up that long, folks, all right? <laughs> some folks over here are like, I have conflict, all right? No, I'm just kidding, Jeff. But, but, but it's inevitable, right? You live with, with another sinful human being, there's going to be conflict. You go to church with other human beings. Guess what? If you stay in a church long enough, guess what you're going to have? Somewhere along the way, you're going to have conflict. I think I told you this story once before. I remember when I first came, I grew up, I was, I was saved in the, uh, the church where I was saved is the only church I was a member of until I moved here my entire life. I grew up there. I got saved at the end of my fourth grade year as a nine-year-old boy and went to the Christian school in sixth grade and, and got kicked out of the Christian school in ninth grade and they let me back in uh, in tenth grade and graduated from there and that was my home church. It's where my grandma was, my mom was. I, we were all reached through that church. My wife's dad was the pastor and I dated the pastor's daughter, and I, I got to be around the pastor and his wife, and, and, man, I, and then when I graduated, um, I, I, I went on staff to work at the church, and I remember, 
I had this idealistic idea that, man, if you went into the ministry, these were all people that spent all day, every day, praying and praising God and telling people about Jesus, and the joy of the Lord just permeated their lives at every moment. And I couldn't wait to go into vocational ministry, and I, had, I would have reached the utopia of spiritual enlightenment, working with the, the men and women of God. And I remember one time I was sitting in my office within a first couple of, I don't know if it's the first couple of weeks or first couple of months, I was sitting in my office and all of these people that are now my coworkers were at one time my Bible teachers and my school principal and my Bible college professors and my youth pastor. These were all people that had been my spiritual authorities that I had looked up to. And, and, and they were the ones where I had made decisions and they had preached and I had come down and made decisions at the altar. And, and I'm now co- I'm coworkers with them and, and I'm sitting there in my office as a, a 21-year-old, I guess, staff member. And I remember hearing something that sounded like a little bit of an emotional speech, like maybe yelling, like maybe a little anger. And I, and I was like, what is happening in the staff offices? And I walked out my door, and it was a corner, and I walked around the corner, and there was a longtime assistant pastor at another longtime staff member's door. And they were screaming, and this was not a common occurrence on our staff, by the way, all right? This isn't like it happened every day, but they were screaming at each other. No, you did that. No, you did. Yep. And I was like, "What? Just where am I working? What just happened?" And 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 again, those people are both still godly, wonderful servants of our Lord. They're serving the Lord, both of them, in the church there, my our home church to to this day. They're still faithful. They're in church right now as I'm preaching. They're there, but they are human. They're human, and I remember kind of that. Oh wow, you go into ministry, and there still will be conflict from time to time. Feelings will still get in the way, and misunderstandings and hurt feelings. You stay in a church for any length of time. You, you work at a place for any length of time, and guess what you're going to have at times? Now, let me stop and say this. If your life is defined by conflict, there's something wrong. If your home is defined by conflict, there's something wrong. If your, if your work experience or your child's school experience is defined by conflict, something's wrong. If everywhere you go, conflict follows, conflict is unavoidable and it's inevitable, but it should not be incessant. It should not be that, that every, every coworker that you have, there's a problem, and every relative that you have, there's a problem, and, and, and you've got conflict at work, and at school, and at home, and at church, and, and in the extended family, and it seems like you have that all of the time. If that's the problem, it might be time to stop and say, it, it, what am I bringing to the table? Because conflict is inevitable, and we'll have conflict. I've had conflict in my marriage. I've had conflict in my family with my children. I've had conflict with our staff. I've had conflict in our church. But in seven years here, it has definitely been the exception, not the rule. The Spirit of Christ should lead to unity and to peace and to joy, and we ought to be able to work together very often, most of the time, and then from time to time, we have to deal with conflict. So when I say that it's inevitable, don't let that justify you or me. Sometimes we're just jerks. Don't let that justify us just bringing and finding something wrong. Again, if whatever school you put your child in, if every year there's a new problem with the school, or you go, if, you, if any business owner will tell you that you, you look at certain people's Yelp reviews and everywhere they go, this restaurant wasn't good enough, and this barber messed it up here, and this gym is not this, and they find a problem every. Don't be that person. 
But here's the reality, no matter how, how, how hard you're trying to serve the Lord, at times, conflict will come in our lives. So we're going to talk about diffusing the conflicts of life. I want you to look at Genesis 13, verse number 1. Genesis 13, verse number 1, the Bible says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife. So we have a husband and wife, and all that he had, and Lot. We have a nephew, Lot, with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. What do we have here? We have a, a man that loves God. We have his family. He's blessed. He's rich. He's, he's got a great business success. Everything seems to be good. Verse number five, and Lot also, family, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. By the way, what do we see here? God's blessings. And sometimes when God blesses and when, we, when, when God grows us, there are, some, there are some things, some growing pains. There's some friction that comes with movement. There are some things when things grow and God blesses, there are some things that we have to deal with in our families, in our homes. You're, you're, you're single, and then if you get married, you grew. There are some new things you have to navigate. And then if God gives children, there's even more. And then you have grandchildren. And there are, the more loved ones you have, the more opportunities for blessing, that's a blessing of the Lord, but with that comes more opportunity for misunderstanding and hurt feelings and conflict, and that's just a part of life. The more relationships that you have, the more rich and full and blessed your life will be, but also sometimes the more prayer requests you're going to have, and the more heartaches and the more burdens. That's, that's part of life, the life that God gives us. So we have blessings here. Abram and Lot, their businesses are going so good that there's not enough room for all of their animals. Look at now in verse number seven. You see the first five words? Would you read those first five words with me aloud? Ready? Begin. And there was a strife. Read it again. And there was, there was a strife. What do we have? We have a godly man following God by faith where God has led him, seeking to go and sacrifice and worship. He's, 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 he's living right. He's trying to help his nephew. He's helping a family member. He's bringing him along with him. All good intentions, all good actions, all good things, but just life brought about some strife. Notice what it says. There was a strife. It wasn't even between Abraham and Lot. Between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. I want to just stop again and say this as it relates to the conflicts of life. Abram was right where he was supposed to be in the middle of God's will, and there was still conflict. Sometimes I think if we're not careful, whatever relationship it is, a marriage relationship, a family relationship, a church a membership, a work a work a position, and sometimes we're not careful, we think, well, there's conflict, it's time for me to go find the next. Let me find the next spouse, and maybe there won't be conflict there. Let me run from this relationship, and let me run from that relationship. Well, this friend, I had conflict there. Instead of dealing with it, I'm going to run to another friend, and I'm going to be done with that one. And, and this church, I, I, let me go find another church. And, and human nature, Abraham, just because there's conflict doesn't mean you're not where you're supposed to be. 
Abram was right where he was supposed to be doing. He had not done anything to bring this conflict upon himself. He had been serving the Lord. He had been living for God, giving his life to God. He didn't start this conflict. He didn't perpetuate this conflict. He had nothing to do with the conflict, but the conflict found its way to his desk, and he was now a part of the conflict, whether he liked it or not. And I just want to stop and say, just because conflict comes doesn't mean you're in the wrong place. But we're going to find here in a moment a, a powerful pattern for diffusing the conflicts of life in two verses here in this chapter. Before we do, I want to give you one thought. So if conflict is inevitable and if it's unavoidable, now if it's, if it's unending in your life, this is a problem that we need to talk about beyond this message. There's something, if you, if you can argue with everybody about everything, there's probably a pride problem, there's an issue there that we need to talk about. But for all of us, no matter how, what our lives are, there will at times be conflict. How do we approach? and diffuse the conflicts of life. Number one, I would suggest to you before we jump into the, to the pattern in these two verses, number one, understand the source of all conflict. If you want to jot it in your notes, Proverbs chapter number 13, verse number 10. Understand the source of all conflict. Did you know there's only one reason for every conflict you've ever had in your entire life, according to Proverbs 13, 10? If you know that verse, the Bible says this in Proverbs 13, verse number 10, only by what church? Pride. Only by what? Cometh contention. Only by pride cometh contention. Do you know why you have conflict if you're married in your marriage? Because one or both of you believe I wasn't treated the way I should have been treated. What is that? I believe I deserve a certain level of whatever, and when, that, when, when my spouse doesn't meet that certain level, now I'm going to disrespect him or I'm going to disrespect her because she or he disrespected me. Well, the Bible says it this way, in honor preferring one another. As much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men, the Bible says, Paul said it this way, he said, I die daily. It's been said, uh, one, one preacher of yesteryear said, you can't hurt a dead man. You know, if I die, day, Paul said it this way, he said, I mortify the flesh. Every day I try to die to myself, I try to die to my pride, and guess what? If there were a dead body laying here, uh, we could do anything we wanted to that body, and that body wouldn't feel anything. There would be no pain, there would be no impact on a dead body, and, and he says, Paul says, spiritually speaking, I try to die to myself, I try to put my, he said, I bring under my body, I try to put myself down, humble myself. So that way, I will not get offended. I will not get upset when, wrong, when, 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 when conflict, when disrespects come my way. That's easier said than done, isn't it? I don't know about you, but it doesn't take much for me, even on the way to church driving, if somebody cuts me off for me to get upset. And conflict to happen, we call it road rage. Don't raise your hand. Some of you had that on the way to church tonight. Why does that happen? This is my lane. You just disrespected me. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to affect our commute by five seconds. In the big scheme of things, somebody making us slow down and miss a light is going to cost us 30 seconds in our lives. And yet, if we're not careful, we'll follow people, we'll tailgate people, we'll get on the horn, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get angry, we'll, whatever it might be. Why does that come? Very often, it's an indicator of pride. 
I deserved this spot. You tried to cut in front of me. You cut in front of me on the exit. You didn't wait your turn in traffic. You should wait your turn like I had to wait my turn. And what are we saying? You think you're better than me. I think I'm better than you. We're going to go at it because who's going to get off this exit first? It's a, it, it comes from pride. At work, something happens. Where does, where does conflict come? One prideful person and one prideful person. In any relationship in life, the equation is this. You get one. And by the way, how many of us would be honest? We have in our lives at times have to deal with pride. I'm there. My hand's up. Well, more than, only of like six of us. Okay. Now maybe we have a better church than I thought. Thank you for not being like your pastor. I, I'm a prideful person at times. And you know what the the formula is? You get one prideful person, that's me. And you get one prideful person, that's Craig. And if we're not walking in the spirit and we're walking in the flesh, guess what's going to happen? If we're together long enough, we're going to have contention. Because Craig, I I thought you would pray for me more. I thought you would encourage me here. I'm disappointed what you did there. You thought that I should have treated your family better here. We should have done more for you there. And where all of that, all contention stems from is pride in our lives. My child deserved this. My, at work, I was passed over for that promotion, and, and so I'm done. That boss did this, and he, and by the way, some of what we're saying is justified, and some of it is true, but it doesn't give us the right to get angry and to create conflict. What we should do, the Bible talks about, again, Jesus talked about humbling ourselves, not seeking our own, but seeking every man, looking on the things of others. Understand the source of all conflict. All of us will have conflict at times because all of us have pride at times. Number two, I want you to see it now. We're going to jump into verse number eight. How do we diffuse the conflicts of life? Number one, we have to admit that many of them, or really all of them, come because of pride. Number two, regardless of the situation, take the lead in resolving the conflict. Regardless of the situation, take the lead in resolving the conflict. Would you read the first two words of verse number eight? The first two words of verse number eight. Ready? Begin. And... Abram. One more time. And? Interesting. So there's a conflict in verse 7. There was a strife. There was a strife between Abram and Lot, yes or no? No. No. There was a strife between Abram's employees and Lot's employees. And what does Abram do? And Abram. Abram doesn't say to his manager, now you go over there and tell Lot if he can't get his employees under control, we're done. He can head back. This is my land. I brought him out. I'm the older one. I'm the richer one. I'm the authority. I'm the uncle. In, in this society, elders are respected. And every, in every other situation, Abraham, from a human perspective, could have flexed his power. He was in the power position. And do you know what Abram did? He didn't say, well, I tell Lot, if he doesn't get his act together, he's out of here. He's done. Hey, I'm going to wait for Lot to come talk to me. This isn't right that his, his employees are having a problem with my employees. He knows who's the older and who's the wealthier and who's the more important and who's the more respected and who is the richer one. He knows who it is. Oh, no. What do we see in Abraham, that man, that, 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 that friend of God? What do we see in Abraham? We see that he took the lead in resolving the conflict. When conflict comes, be the bigger person. Uh, we justify why we allow conflict to continue. Well, they started it. Well, well, they've never apologized. By the way, you can't, in conflict, you can't control their actions or reactions. What you can control are yours. 
You can control your heart and your spirit, and you can control you humbling yourself and praying for that one that has wronged you. It's really hard to be angry at people that you pray for regularly. And letting them know, I love you, and, and, and I, I want what's best for you. And they might return good, they might return evil for good. They might take and, and view you as weak. Well, you're weak, that's all right. That's a, Jesus was viewed as weak too, but it takes a lot stronger person to humble themselves and take the lead in resolving conflict. And, and by the way, you say, I tried to resolve it, and, and they don't want to have anything to do with it. They'll answer to God for that. You'll answer to God for your actions and reactions. That's another thing that happens in conflict that really causes us a lot of consternation is we, we, we want to try to fix it, and it never gets fixed. We, God didn't call us to fix it. God called us to approach it in a Christ-like biblical way. And he'll take care of the rest. And Abram, Abram takes the lead in, in, in resolving the conflict. They started it. They were in the wrong. They handled it poorly. Listen to my side of the story. Listen to how much wrong they did to me and how wrong they were to me. Oh, no. How about just like Abram? You're going to see here, Abram didn't, he didn't make a case. He didn't come and share all of the reasons why he was right and Lot was wrong, why his employees were right and Lot's employees were wrong. He didn't do any of those things. And Abram, he took the lead. Well, they should respect me. Abram could have said all of this, but he didn't. Look at next. Not only do we take the lead, how do you diffuse the conflicts of life? Number three, deal with the situation directly. Verse number eight. And Abram, what are the next three words? In verse eight, and Abram, what does it say? said unto Lot, and Abram said unto Lot, deal with the problem directly. You know what, uh, you know what we often do? We do one of two things with conflict. One, we don't want to deal with it, so we, we deny that it exists. There's nothing there, no, and what happens is then we get more upset and more bitter and more angry. And we just keep pushing it down, pushing it down. Now, if you can, for, if there was conflict and you can forgive and give it to God and be done, you don't have to let that conflict define the rest of your life. But if you're struggling because there's conflict and you can't get victory, deal with it directly. So one of the things that we do is we don't deal with it at all. We deny that it exists. The other thing that we normally do before we do this is we deal with it all indirectly. You don't know how many times I've had people come to me, church members, school families, different ones. Well, I've, I've heard from a lot of people that they're struggling with this. Oh, really? Number one, why are you talking to those people about the problem and not the people that can do something about it? Number two, who are those people? Usually it means them and one or two folks they've talked to. But what we do when we have conflict or we have issues is we don't generally go to the one that can help solve the issue. We go to people that have no part in the issue, and we, get, we try to build this caucus, build a consensus, to try, and what ends up happening is we poison our own spirits, and we poison those around us. We'll do this in a family. I've heard of families that, that, that uh, counseled families that do stuff like this, and the husband and the wife have conflict, and what will they do? Instead of dealing with it directly, they'll try to manipulate and use their children to get their way in that conflict. Hey, hey, if they're living in the same home, hey, son, can you go tell your mom? Hey, honey, let, let dad know. And we're not talking about just a message to send. We're talking about something that we want to get a message across, but we don't want to talk to them directly. That's, a, that's a, a trait of a narcissist, by the way, triangulization and taking somebody else. And we're going to try to manipulate and indirect and go talk to a friend and, and a coworker instead of going to talk to the boss about the conflict we have with them or talk to that coworker about the conflict that we have with them. We go to all the other coworkers and try to get them on our side. 
As a pastor, instead of going to the church member that there's conflict with and dealing with it directly, where there's a struggle or there's an issue, a pastor can go and start to talk badly about that person to this and to that and to that staff member and get everybody so they're on their side. What an unscriptural and unhealthy way to deal with conflict. That's what the Bible calls backbiting and gossip. When you are talking to anybody about an issue that they are not a part of the solution, it's gossip. It's backbiting. It's discord. And not only does it not make the problem better, it actually, not only does it not solve the problem, it makes it worse. It brings more people into a more toxic environment. What did he do? He dealt with it directly. Abram said unto Lot, he didn't say, let the servants figure it out. No one else did his dirty work. And may I say this, as it relates to our relationships, open and honest communication is the cornerstone of every healthy human relationship. With God, it must be open and honest communication. I, I'm open and I let him know. I share my heart with him and then I let his word speak to me and I let him speak to me with my spouse. It must be open and honest communication. And in recent months, one of us, as we were talking, was talking to the other and saying, I'm really struggling with, and, and said this, and I need, to, need you to know where I'm at with this. This is, I'm re- this is really tough. Well, as a husband or a wife, we can act like it's not there, and then what happens is somewhere down the way it just explodes. No, we've got to be open and honest about things that we're struggling with in our relationships. When, you can write this down, when communication suffers, the relationship suffers. We we like to say ignorance is bliss, but as it relates to relationships, it's really not. The Bible says, dwell with thy, thy husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Know what's happening in their hearts and in their lives. Pastors, be diligent to know the state of thy flocks. Parents, be diligent to know the state of thy flocks. Business owner, be diligent to know the state of thy flocks. If you're overseas staff, be diligent to know the state of your staff. How are your children doing? How are your grandchildren doing? How are your, your, your extended family doing? How are your coworkers doing? Know what's happening. Take the lead and deal with it directly. We do so much more damage because we text somebody that's not a part of it. We talk to a coworker, a friend, a, a fellow parent, a fellow member, a whatever. You, I'm just, I'm going through all of those different arenas of life, and we end up making the problem far bigger than it ever would have needed to be if we j- would have just dealt with it directly. Number four, what do we see in Abraham and Lot? This is a key one. In our conflicts, number four, seek resolution, not victory. Seek resolution, not victory. Notice what it says. Abram, he took, he, he took the lead in resolving the conflict. Said unto Lot, he dealt with it directly. What are the next uh, five words there after Lot? Look at them. Let there be no what, church? There was a strife in verse 7. What is Abram's goal? Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. What do you see about Abram's agenda in dealing with the resolution? I want the solution I want. Do you see that anywhere in his statement? I want you to fix the problem I'm having, Lot. Do you see that anywhere? I want you to move your animals off of my property. Do you see him fighting for his agenda anywhere? I want you to see it my way, Lot. Is that how we approach the conflict? Isn't that how we often approach our conflicts? At family, at work, in business? I want you to see it my way. 
I want you to see why I'm not happy with what you've done. I want you to fix what I'm having a problem with. That's not what we find with Abram. What did he say? Here is my goal. The first words out of his mouth to Lot, let there be no strife. Here's why I'm coming to meet with you, Lot. It's, and Lot, I don't know for sure, but if Abram knew there was a problem, Lot probably knew there was a problem. It was the elephant in the room, and maybe Lot had already put all of his, his, his PowerPoint presentation together about why he deserved the amount of land that his animals were on, and maybe he had a, a whole list of things that he was going to show them, this is what I need to do, and he was going to do a whole, a whole thing about, here's what, 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 why I'm in the right and you're in the wrong. Maybe he had all of that. I don't know. That's human. I know I do that. When I know there, there could be a contentious meeting, my first response is, let me get all of my, and your honor, I'd like to present into evidence. Back in, in 1972, my wife did this, and I would like to present into evidence why I was in the wrong, she was in the wrong here. And I, if I'm not careful, I start building my case about why I'm right and why she or my kids or my fellow staff member, whoever, an extended family, why they're wrong and I'm right. And maybe that's what Lot had done. Maybe he was ready and prepared for this meeting. I, I don't know, but usually if there's a big problem, both people know about it. They have that elephant in the room. And Abraham came, and he t- completely disarmed the conversation. Here's what he said. Let there be no strife. I want to find a resolution. I'm not coming to this to win. I'm not coming to this to get you to do everything that I want you to do. I'm coming to this for us to find resolution in the relationship. I want our employees getting along. I don't want conflict any longer. I found out there was conflict, and Abraham, nowhere does he come in to lay out his case about all of the reasons why he was in the right and Lot was in the wrong. He just comes and says, here's my goal, no strife between us. Abraham, and this is amazing, Abraham didn't care what that meant for him. You're going to find that in a minute. He didn't care what that looked like for him. In just a minute, you're going to see Abram doesn't care what sacrifices that means he needs to make. He just wants resolution to the relationship. Let there be no strife between me and thee. How much better... You think about whatever your last conflict was, whether it was at home, at work, in your neighborhood, with extended family members, on social media, wherever your last conflict was, how much different would that conflict have been if your whole agenda was, how do we find resolution? How do we restore the relationship? Not how do I build my case? Not how do I prove you're wrong and I'm right? Seek resolution, not victory. What does the Bible say? The Bible says it this way, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. When conflict comes, that's a pretty soft answer, isn't it? Hey, Lot, let there be no strife. Come on, Lot, let's fix this. Let's get back to the relationship we had. I don't want this to get between me and you. I love you too much. Let there be a soft answer turneth turneth away wrath. We make things worse when we try to win arguments instead of seeking resolution. If you're married, have you figured that out? You make things worse by trying to win an argument. My wife and I recently were arguing on an elevator. Turns out I was wrong on several levels. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have you figured out you can win the battle and lose the war of the relationship? Isn't the relationship more important than the battle? Oh, you can win the battle and and prove to 
maybe that person and maybe everybody else that you're on the right and they're on the wrong, but is it really worth it to lose that relationship? We, we win battles all the time in conflict and lose the war, the big picture. Abram saw the big picture. You've listened well. Let me try to wrap it up. Number five, what did Abram do? This one's huge. Let them know the relationship is more important than the reason for conflict. I've already talked about this a little bit, but look at the last few words, the last four words of verse number eight. He said his goal was no strife. I don't want us to be living in strife. I don't want your your employees living in strife with my employees. And look at verse number eight. What's the last four words? For we be what? We be brethren. We're brethren. What a beautiful way to approach conflict. I'm going to take the lead. I'm going to go directly. I'm going to let them know my goal is resolution. What do we have to do to restore the relationship, not win the battle? For we be brethren. I don't care what it looks like. Here's what Abraham is saying. Our relationship is more important than the petty things we're fighting about. And by the way, Abraham and Lot weren't even fighting about it. But it was going to make its way to their relationship, and Abraham was wise enough to know that. It was his herdmen and Lot's herdmen that were fighting about it. And what did he say? He said, let there be no strife, for we be brethren. We're family. We can figure this out, Lot. He's going he's to talk to him about a solution here in a minute. We can figure this out. The, the, our relationship, and this is one that I remind myself of often when I'm coming at a place where there might be an attack or somebody that's really upset with something I've done or something that's happened. I try to remind myself, and I try to come at it from the spot of resolution, not victory. My, my first instinct is, let me win this argument. My first instinct is, let me prove why I'm right and you're wrong. My first instinct is, let me build my case, and that comes from my heart of pride. And, but, but I try to remind myself from these principles, seek resolution, not victory, and let that know the relationship is far more important than the reason for conflict. Uh, I know we have a problem that we're going to have to deal with, and they're going to talk about solutions. We have to deal with it, but I want you to know the reason I want to fix it is not to make your life worse and my life better. The reason I want to fix it is because we're family. Again, whatever conflict you've had, if somebody came to you with that spirit, it's kind of tough. But, but what about You're right, let's figure it out because I care more about a relationship than I care about whatever that thing we're fighting about is. But 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 I, I feel like we were wronged over here. My 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 animals should have been able to eat that grass. Maybe they should have. Let's figure it out because I care more about you as a as a a family member than I do those animals in that grass. But 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 it's not fair, it's it's affecting my bottom line. Well, I wanna I wanna figure that out. Why? Because I care about you. What you're saying, by the way, when you tell them you care more about the resolution, I'm sorry, more about the relationship than you do the reason for conflict, what you're saying is, I care more about you than I care about me. I care more about our relationship than I care about me winning. We need to learn to say, I care more about our relationship than I care about being right. I care more about those things because when we say I care more about the relationship than I care about being right, we're really saying we care more about the other person than we do about ourselves. By the way, that's what the Bible challenges us to do in honor, preferring one another. Number six, verse number nine, how do we diffuse the conflicts of life? Defer to the other party. And that, by the way, this isn't easy and it may cause you some loss. You might not get your way and what you had hoped for. But look what it says in verse number nine. Here's Abram's, he continues on. Hey, Lot, is not the whole land before thee? 
Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. You see the beautiful pattern in two little verses? It's pretty hard to argue with that. No, but I wanted that spot over there. Okay. No, but I I mean, I was going to give you a whole list of why I deserve that spot over there. Okay. You can have it. It, it might, might be worse for my business. I care about our relationship more than I care about my business. I care about you as a person more than I care about my cows. Defer to the other party. What, what, what does the Bible say again? As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. In honor, preferring one another. Seek not, the Bible talks about don't, don't look on your own things, but every man should look on the things of others. What do we all do? We look on our own things. How can I be as a husband served better? How can my children do more for me? How can the church do more for me? If I just look at my roles, my nature, I'm a husband, I I hope my wife will do more for me, and I want my life to be better because of what she's doing for me. And as a father, I hope my children will make me happy and make me proud. And as a pastor, I hope God's people will appreciate me and be very generous and kind to me and not cause me any problems. And as as, as as a staff leader, as a pastor overseeing staff, I hope the staff will all fall right in line with me and never cause me any conflict. I'm not careful. I view every relationship through how can that relationship serve me? How can it make my life better? How can I, how can, and, if, and by the way, I'm not alone in this. This is human nature. But what did Abraham do? Even though he was in the position of authority and in the position of power, what did he say? He said, let there be no strife. I don't want us to keep fighting for we be brethren. He said, you go ahead. You want that side? You take that and I'll humble myself and take what's left. Oh, you want this side? You take that, and I'll humble myself and take what's left. What is Abraham saying? I'm willing to humble myself and not get my way so that we can have a wonderful relationship. By the way, you say you might be looking out and kind of being cynical and saying, that's a great way to get run over for the rest of your life, Pastor Ryan. That's a great way for people to just use and abuse you and take advantage of you and be unkind to you. But here's the reality. When God's people get a hold of this, and if a husband gets a hold of this, and a wife gets a hold of this, What do you find? You have a husband that's unselfishly serving and living for his wife, and husbands loving our wives as Christ loved the church. And what do you have? You have a wife who's humbling herself and unselfishly living, and neither are getting taken advantage of, and neither are getting abused or misused or manipulated. They're both finding greater joy and fulfillment in that relationship than they ever would have living for themselves. It's been said a person wrapped up in themselves makes for a very small package. Somebody that learns the joy of serving, and then, by the way, that changes other people. And then all of a sudden, people want to be around you, and people want to, 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 to be with you, and there's not constant conflict at home, and at work, and on social media, and at, at school, and at play, and with neighbors, and extended family. And all of a sudden, there's conflict from time to time, but it doesn't define our lives because we've learned the joy of humble service. Do you know how many emails I've had to delete? Stop typing and never send because I realized I wasn't following this. I was responding in the flesh. How many social media comments or posts I've never sent? And I've sent some that I regret. I've sent some emails that I regret. I've never regretted an email I didn't send. Where I had to stop, take a step back and say, Ryan, you're seeking your own. You're trying to prove your point, why they're wrong and why you're right. And all you're doing is, 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 straining that relationship farther and farther. 
defer to the other party. As much as lieth in you, live peacefully. What did Jesus, again, these things are so countercultural to our thinking. What did Jesus say? If a man hits you in the face, what did he say? Turn the other cheek. What is he saying? Humble yourself and defer to the other party. Well, what did he say? If a man takes your coat, give him your cloak also. Humble yourself and defer to the other party. Let yourself, and again, I'm not talking about being in, in a physically abusive relationship. I'm not talking about allowing abuse in our lives. I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying there's never anything that we need to deal with at work or a mistreatment. I'm not saying that what I am saying is much of what we might view in that way is really just our prideful efforts of trying to get our own way. What did he say if a man asked you to walk a mile with him? Go a mile. What does he say? You should do what? Go the extra mile. Go two. It's been said before you insult a man, walk a mile in his shoes. That way you'll be a mile away and you'll have his shoes. <laughs> Defer to the other party. Lastly, I want you to see in verses 14 through 18 of this chapter, I want to remind you, you need to remind yourself, God will bless you for handling conflict properly. I didn't say that God will always solve it because you can't control if the other person will have a heart of humility to accept your efforts at resolution. You can send a, a, a gracious, humble email like Abram did here. You can have a gracious, humble meeting, and they may walk out madder than they were. You might have tried to have a good conversation with a family member, and they might be madder than they were when they came in. You can't control that. But what you can control is your heart and your spirit and your attitude toward that person. You can't control theirs. God will bless you for handling conflict properly. Look at verse number 14. Verse number 14. And the Lord, this is after, I don't know why God put this in context. This is after, um, after Abraham deals with this conflict this way. By the way, in Lot's pride, Lot made the decision based on what he thought looked best for him. In this conflict resolution, Lot was offered a choice. Take whatever you want. The Bible says he saw the well-watered plains. He said, wow, instead of humbly deferring to Abraham and saying, no, Uncle Abraham, you're the reason I'm here. I defer to you. You take whatever you want. I'll take what's left over. Lot made a decision based on what was best for him. Here's what makes my family happier. Here's what makes my business go better. And guess what ended up happening? I think we all know the story. Lot ended up taking, a, and by the way, he began to look. He was, because of where he was positioned, he saw a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of his prideful response, he ends up destroying his entire family. He loses, his, he loses everything. He loses his wife. He loses his relationship. He loses his, his respect, his influence. He ends up losing all of that. And really, the seeds of that personal and family destruction come back to Lot not dealing with conflict in a humble, selfless manner. But the opposite of that is, Abraham, after he deals with that, after he deals with it humbly, in the same chapter, God decides to show us in verse number 14, and the Lord said unto Abram, and then he puts this phrase in here, after that Lot was separated from, he reminds us, it was, it was in context with this issue we just talked about, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward, eastward, westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. By the way, Lot lifted up his own eyes in pride, said, I want this land, and it ends up leading to his personal and family destruction. Abraham says, Lot, I want to deal with this humbly and graciously and selflessly, 
and God lifts up his eyes and said, I've got more for you than you ever could have imagined by trying to get your own way. And then he says in verse number 15, for all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk thou in the land, in the length of it, in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Two very different directions that go. One who dealt with this in a godly, selfless manner. And what does God give in the same chapter after they had separated? It says, God gives what we call the Abrahamic covenant. The promise to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation, and all of this land is yours. I've got great plans for you. You say, man, it it, it feels like I'm getting taken advantage of. It feels like the nice guys finish last. Feels like the ones that always try to do, I've apologized for what I've done, I've admitted where I've been wrong, and that person will never apologize, they'll never admit anything they've done wrong. Feels like they just, no matter what efforts I try, it's never enough for him, for her, for them. It's never enough. I want to remind you, it was after all of that that God said, I've got great blessings for your future, for your family, for your business. I've got things you can never imagine for you. And it was in context in the same passage when we see Abram deal. I don't know why in God's providence and omniscience, why he put this little conflict in the Bible. Think about it. It was just a a work conflict. It was just an employee conflict. Why, Why did God put that in there? I don't know. But I know as I studied it probably a decade ago, I'd read it many times, Genesis 13, even even the worst among us can make it to January 4th or 5th trying to read our Bible through in a year. I've read it undoubtedly every year I've ever been saved, Genesis 13. But about a decade ago, seven, eight, nine years ago, I looked and there's those specific principles that, again, probably nearly every week of my life since I've reminded myself of. Now, I sound really spiritual when I say that. I've not always practiced them. I have broken up some relationships. I, I have, when I say broken, I've, I've caused more tension in relationships. I have, I, have, I have dealt in the flesh sometimes. I've sent emails I shouldn't have sent. I, 